0: Hey, take your Bibles quickly. We got to rock and roll because we're running late. We're in First Peter, and uh, today, if you're newer visiting, it's your first time here. It's a great Sunday to be here because we're going to do uh, a review of First Peter, and you'll get everything we covered since January in one morning. All right, so that'll be great. And uh, so grab your Bibles. Let's uh, let's pray. Uh, what we're going to do this morning is take ten principles out of First Peter. All right. So what I want you to look for is they're not going in order. In other words, this is not like Letterman's Top Ten, all right? This is two from each chapter. And um, they may be things that God spoke to you before if you were in the series, but what I would like you to do is pull one or two this morning that really stand out to you as we go through the review. Don't try to write all ten down, right? You know how that works. It just doesn't work. But grab the one or two that really catch your attention and stick out to you. And then we'll do it together. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, when we seek this and we talk about something grabbing our attention, we're really talking about your Holy Spirit illuminating your word. We know that your word is truth, but we also know you can illuminate it. And we know you can bring it to life. And where something was before dead and we could have read it a dozen times, suddenly it can jump to life with power and fervor because you bring it to life. And so this morning we are looking for your living word as we do a review of 1 Peter. Lord, and uh, Peter learned some profound and valuable things that are well worth passing along. The church has benefited from them for 2,000 years. May we benefit this well, from this as well, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, here we go. Chapter 1. Look along in the chapters as we go along, and you can pull. By the way, I pulled 10. You may not agree with my 10. That's fantastic. You can go through First Peter and pull your own 10, right? right, would be a good study, so go from there. All right, here we go. Principle number one, chapter number one. Uh, we, we started out last week uh, by Silvanus or Silas, a faithful brother, um, As I regard him, I've written briefly, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Peter says, stand firm in it. So the question is, what are we supposed to stand firm in? Right. So here's the 10 that we pulled. Number one, Peter's top 10. Okay, our salvation in Jesus is the most precious promise and possession in the universe. Peter just had no words for it. He couldn't even capture words for what it meant to be saved. It didn't matter what he lost. It didn't matter what he had gone through. He knew what Jesus had done for him. And he said that uh, this salvation is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. He said it's more precious than gold. He says, even gold, when it goes through the fire, gets purified and sometimes can be lost. He said, this salvation will never be lost. He's equating it to the most precious things we know on the planet and saying it's far beyond that. He says, even the angels are trying to figure out what God's up to. You, know, you think about it, that's pretty cool. All right, look at that. We should be out of our gourd with joy because of what God's done. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And that's what this church is about. This church is not about what we do uh, for the community, although we do stuff for the community. It's not about who we are, although we are people. um, It's really about the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. And if you're here this morning saying, what's the gospel? It's very simple. The Bible says we're dead because of our sin and trespasses. Now, we may not have been bad people where we robbed banks and done all that kind of stuff, right? And shot people and done all that sort of deal. But I think all of us can relate to a place where we have trespassed, where we have gone over the line. We knew where the line was. We knew we weren't supposed to go there and we stepped over it anyways. That's what the scripture says kills us. It says because of that, we're dead in our sin Or our trespasses. And it says God, because of his great love, took the initiative to close the gap by sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to suffer and die for us. In other words, we now have a bill, a debt we can't pay. And we're stuck. And God said, you know what? I will step in your place and I will pay the bill for you. And so scriptures proclaim that Jesus died on the cross. Then three days later, this critical part, he rose again from the dead. And now it says, Peter's saying, Jesus lives an indestructible life. We forget that. But he lives an indestructible life for all of eternity, seated at the right hand of the Father. And the seating there is not motionless. The seating there is in terms of position. There's no higher position in the kingdom than the one that Jesus occupies. We then must surrender to the pull of the Holy Spirit as he witnesses us to this truth. You know, probably all of us can remember times when that wasn't, It didn't really grip us. And, uh, you know, when we listen to young teenage kids, we go, oh, yeah, I remember. I remember that pulling, that, uh, that God drawing me towards himself. And we must surrender our lives to his calling because we tend to have egos. We tend to be stubborn. We tend to be prideful. We tend to pretend that we know better than God knows. And so we resist. But the Bible says if you come to that place, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right, So now stop for principle one right here. There may be somebody here this morning who's in that process right now. Somebody who God's been drawing. Somebody who God's been leading. Somebody who God's been wooing. You've heard him pull you towards him. And you have felt that draw. Right? And I just want to take a minute that we would be able to give you the opportunity to ask Jesus into your life that way. So would you join me in prayer? If that was you this morning, if that's you felt that you have felt the Lord draw you. Matter of fact, you know you're here this morning not because you got here, but because it was His timing. He's gotten you here. You've been pondering this. You've been perking it. Then you could say something very simple like, "Lord Jesus, I know it was You who drew me here this morning." Is the, not the first time I've heard Your voice. I've heard You draw me. I've heard You. I have resisted. But it makes sense, and I know I have to cross the line and give you my heart. I have to ask you into my life. I have to yield up that control. Lord Jesus, I want to give my life. Would you come into my life? Would you come by the power of your Spirit? Would you save me this morning? Would you wash me this morning? May I be born again in your Spirit. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right. Anybody who did that? Go around the room. Okay. All right. Good. All right, then let's go on. Principle number two, if we're all saved then, here's the second principle Peter says, holiness is a big deal, All right, We have lots of inputs today, right? We have our computers and we have Netflix and we have uh, Google and we have Yahoo and we have right, a TV and we have our phones and we have Facebook and we have, and we have tons of input. We have more input than any generation ever on the face of the earth, which means we can be more polluted than any generation. On the face of the earth, all that you see on the internet is not good, right? And it pollutes us, and it colors us, and it tells us that everything else is important but Jesus, right? And so Peter's saying, "Hey, holiness is a big deal. We are to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And therefore, as we know He's coming, as He is holy, so we should be holy also." Peter says, We are to be holy because God is holy. We are to be holy in all our conduct. We are to be obedient. Peter says, We are to be sober minded. We are uh, to be pure. He says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love. And here's a key point. If you operate in holiness, have you noticed that when you tend to walk with God and you tend to be holy, it's easier to love? And the reason for that is very simple it's hard to love when you're bitter. It's hard to love when you're angry. Ever tried to love someone you're angry? (laughs) Right, chop suey, Ginsu knife kind of thing. Um, You know, I love you. uh, It's much easier to love uh, if you're not cynical or jaded or uh, stained or soured or all those words that we could throw together. When you actually get right with God, it's amazing that then suddenly your capacity to love other people opens up as well. And Peter's saying, hey, one of the big deals about purity, why it matters, is because we tend to grow hard and jaded when it comes to our love for each other if we're not pure. Both towards each other and towards God. And so a big part of holiness is being clean, so that we have the ability to love the people that God has placed around us. Even those who are unlovable. When you love somebody who's unlovable, you get a really good picture of what it was like for Jesus to try and love you first. Oh, you ever going back to, I am so sorry. (laughs) Right? Okay, so Peter says, hey, purity is a big deal. All right, chapter 2. Principle number 3. We are a holy priesthood. So not only are we to be holy, but we are actually called a priesthood by Peter. We are a temple that God is building. When we think of building a temple, we think of mortar and concrete and stone and rock and wood and all these kind of different things. God's building this big temple and it's not built with stuff. It's built with people. And Peter calls, it, uh, calls us living stones. And we are living stones chosen by God so that we can proclaim. What is it we are to proclaim? Peter says what we are to proclaim are the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. One of the things that uh, is hard for me right now is that uh, the transformation process has been largely hidden in my life because now I'm Pastor Steve. But when I was first saved, it was really obvious to everybody who knew me that I was radically saved, that God had done something incredibly miraculous. Now people think I'm just good because I have to be. Right? And it drives me nuts because when I try to tell them how much God has changed me, half the time they don't even believe me. Uh, we went out with a buddy the other night, and we were talking, and he goes, well, I can't tell you because you wouldn't get it. And I go, really? Want to try that? Want to run that dog for a second? So, I spent about forty minutes telling him so he 's going you 're kidding me you know, yeah that 's the part of me nobody knows said that use that 's what Jesus has done we 're to proclaim the excellencies of him who 's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. The other thing is that we are peter says we 're adopted that 's such a precious term it 's not a, 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 a allegorical term or a category term. Adoption is something that uh, We are brought into once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There's something about when you have received mercy yourself, you can extend mercy to someone else. And Peter's saying we are to operate that way as mercy has been extended to us. So we are to extend mercy to other people because we are a holy priesthood. We are to watch out for the passions of of our flesh, which wage war against your soul. Anybody had some war this week? Anybody been waged on? Okay, right? Yeah, there was something going on this week. I felt it. Uh, w- you know, the, we had violence again, right? The shooting was right here this time, not far, muckle to you. Uh, Found out that uh, the one of the kids that was shot was actually a boyfriend of one of our cousins. And uh, so it hit pretty close to home. Found out that one of my Gang that I uh, know that uh, came out of North Shore and that I've discipled, he actually trained that kid who did the shooting at a job site that they're on. It's really close, really close. Okay. Peter's saying here, watch out for the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So what we are to do is be honorable, not a theoretical honor. We are to be honorable, like right here and now. What does it? What would the choice be? That you would have to make to be honorable. Right? That is what Peter's talking about. All right, principle number four. Ah, this is a fun one. We are to be in submission to authority. Whoop, whoop, right? Yeah. Really? Yeah, Peter says we are all authority, Peter says. Scripture says all authority is God given. That does not mean all authority is godly, there's a big difference. But all authority is God given, Peter says, and we are to do this, we are to submit to authority for the Lord's sake. It's not because we believe they're great people or they're the best people that could be in that role. I mean, just think through all the authority, you know, in your jobs, in your schools, in your neighborhood where you shop, you know, we have to remember the clerk that we're mad at didn't write the policies of the store, right? She's just there working and yet we rip and fire on her and... Like, no, no, no. Operate within the authority structures that God has placed within the community that you live in, is what Peter is saying. We are to live as free people, but not to use our freedom to sin. And Peter says we are to give honor to who honor is due. So we may not like the person, but we can still honor the role. We can still honor the position. And then he says this, Okay, even if you do that strategy and it backfires on you and you go through suffering, it says if we suffer unjustly, we do so because we are mindful of God. It's not that we're passive or just uh, we don't care, but we do it because we're mindful of God. And Peter says the model for that, what he pulls, is that Christ is the example in all of this for us. Jesus is our example who bore our sins in his body on a tree. You want to look what it's like to go through suffering? That's why the Gospels are so powerful. You cannot read those accounts without realizing two things. Number one, Jesus is radically different from us. But number two, he modeled for us how we're to act under pressure. Jesus' whole life was pressured, right? You read that it just really never lets up. And yet he also operated within the authority structures that existed. All right, chapter three, principle number five. Wives. Be submitted to your husbands. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. We've got that down so we can skip to chapter (laughs) 4. Gals, remember what um, Peter's tying up. This was primarily written to women who had become saved and whose husbands weren't saved. But then when Peter takes the illustration of Sarah to Abraham, he transcends and telescopes all of that to all of you. The focus is on, I want to suggest here, developing a good heart. Peter says it's a gentle and quiet heart. Do gals rage inside or is that just guys? Right? Do gals ever get catty? Do gals ever? No, that's in other churches. Awesome. Okay? Of course we do, right? But what he's saying here, what Peter's saying is, don't base your self-worth on outward adornment, but rather on the inward beauty of a good heart. A good heart's going to get you a lot farther in life than outward beauty. Balance point, I don't think there's anything wrong with outward beauty. okay I, I married a beautiful woman. I like it when she dresses up. she's gorgeous, it's fabulous, all right? But here's what Peter's saying. There's nothing wrong with outward adornment, but if that's all you've got, all right you got the shell, you got the outward looks. Uh, then you're going to go bankrupt relationally when it comes to the tests of character that come your way in life. Be they singleness or be they married. All right, That's what Peter's saying. Guys, we are to live with our wives in an understanding way. Now, pause for a second. How many men really understand women? All right? Guys, how many of us really understand our wives? Have you ever sat there in the garage scratching your head going, what just happened? Right Now, don't give anything away. Just look there and go, ah, that must be my neighbor. Um, right? But w- there's times we're just baffled by our wives. Like, yeah, I know that's an equal creation, but that's just, is she an alien or what happened here? You know, I don't get it. Right? Here's Peter's point. Jesus gets them. All right? Mm-hmm. Jesus understands women. Isn't, gals, isn't that awesome? Right? Right? Jesus understands women. He understands women. He knows how they're wired. And here's the point, guys. We are to learn from Him. We are to learn from Him if we're going to get anywhere because we will not get very far if we're harsh or angry or impatient or mean. That is not living with our wives in an understanding way. It, it doesn't work if we're bullies. right? And Peter's saying, and who used to be a bully? I want to suggest Peter was. He knew what that was like and he knew how to back out of it. How would you like to be married to Peter, gals, Right, with what you know of him in Scripture? Wouldn't that have been a test of faith? And you're going, I'm so glad I didn't get Peter. But this guy you got me living with isn't much better. He's hard too. I Wow. By the way, in fall, we're going to do a series called Marriage MD. And we're going to set it up and go through some of these practical things together. We haven't done one like that for years, so we're going to... Walk through that in the fall, and if you want to invite friends on that, that would be great. All right, principle number six. Be willing to suffer for righteousness' sake. Peter says do not, and the key point in this whole part of the chapter was do not repay evil for evil, or the other word it uses is reviling for reviling. Reviling. Uh, we live in a culture of reviling. You shoot at me, I shoot at you. And whether it's with guns or words, it doesn't matter. I mean, if you watch our our political campaign, all it is is reviling. Have any of you heard the, the candidates actually about the actual platform of either side? No, it's all about how bad the other side is, right? The actual platform, you have to go online and look for what the actual platform is because nobody's talking about it. What are we into? I will revile them; they will revile me. And I want them to. Make, I want you to believe they're worse than me. So you vote for the least possible worst. Okay. Forget the topics. Forget the issues. Forget what's on the table. Just I'll scare them with you more than you scare them with me. Right? So you vote for me. That's reviling. Can we get in that with our marriages? Can we get in that with our children? Can you, we get in that with our neighbors? Yeah, we can. Peter says, "Don't fight fire with fire." On the contrary, what are we to do? We're supposed to bless, okay? Is that easy to do when you've been had? No, but we're supposed to be able to bless. And we're always to be prepared to give a defense of the hope that we have. And the key phrase in here with the gospel is gentleness and respect. There's something powerful when you can answer in a really heated moment with gentleness and respect. It just diffuses the whole thing. Escalating does not work, okay? And and uh, Proverbs says a soft word breaks the bone. Often, uh, when we want to escalate, even at home, if you think about how could I say that in a soft voice, you'll find you get a whole lot further than if you if you jack it up and jack up the audio. All right. We are to keep a good conscience, even if we are slandered, and we must be willing. I think to understand what Peter's saying is pick up our cross and carry it that we also will have to carry a cross just like Jesus did and just like Peter would soon do. We also will have to pick up. A... Could you imagine the things you had to suffer through uh, when you were 15 now that you're over 40? right? Could you have said, oh, yeah, I can handle all that and I'll go through all that and it'll, it'll be easy? right? Not so much. Right. So God brings it our way. And we have to learn to lean into it. Principle number seven, we are to be stewards. Chapter four, we are to be stewards of God's grace. All of you have gifts. Some of them are innate gifts that God has given you. They were literally born into you. We say it's a God-given talent. Uh, And some of us were given gifts. All of us were given gifts by the Holy Spirit when we got saved. So the question is not what are your gifts. The question is, are we using them? Peter says, be good stewards of God's grace. He says, we are to arm ourselves with the way of thinking that Jesus had. In other words, Jesus came down. He knew he had an assignment, and he stuck with this assignment even when things got difficult. We are to be self-controlled and sober-minded so that we can pray wisely. Pray how? God, how do you want to use me? Right? If I am angry, bitter, all that stuff, I forget about the kingdom. I forget about God. I'm just out for how do I save my hide or how do I get out of this? Where if I'm sober-minded and I'm self-controlled, I can pray. And then God's grace is dispensed to us. Why or how? So we can love earnestly. right? It's an expression of love. Now, Peter breaks it into two big categories. The speaking gifts and the serving gifts. And it really doesn't matter which camp you're in. Use it. And there, there's in-the-box gifts, right? The, all the stuff we do in here that, that we need people for that uh, people do. And then there's out-of-the-box gifts. There are gifts that operate outside the walls here in the community that we have all kinds of people doing fantastic things for Jesus out in the community. They're, they're out-of-box. The but it doesn't matter whether you're in the box or out of the box. You are to serve the kingdom. Are you using your giftedness that way? Peter points out that, why this is so important. Love covers a multitude of sins. So he says, find a place to use your gifts. Do you think with the stuff that just happened the last couple of days here, that Mill Creek and Muckle Teal could, could use some demonstration of God's love for them in the community? Do you think there's some hurting people walking around right now? I think there are. And I think as we figure out how to reach out to them, we can extend that love that's been extended to us. Um, If you don't know what to do, just start asking around. First person you should ask, the Lord. Hey, Lord, is there anything you have for me to do? Is there some assignment either in the church or outside the church? that is there something for me? Do you have something you've planned that I could enter into? That's a great place. And then as soon as you ask that question, just start asking around the body. Hey, what do you do for ministry? What do you do for ministry? And you'll hear all these different things, and one will click. You'll go, ooh, I have an interest in that. Ah, These other ones, not so, but that one rings the bell. How how, how do I get started on that? And just asking your your brothers and sisters in Christ will help you get going on that. All right, principle number eight, chapter four. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. It's pretty easy to sit and watch on television and watch people rail against each other and go, wow, have you ever thought, I wonder how I'd react if it was me in that situation? When the fiery ordeal comes our way, many have been and will be insulted because of and for the name of Christ. If you want to get in touch with this currently right now, the best source I know is Voice of the Martyrs. And they deal with the persecuted church throughout the world today. And all of the churches, not like the church in America, there's a lot of stuff going on in a lot of parts of the globe. You want to read about people who are being insulted and suffer for the sake of Christ, go on the website. They have a a monthly book, a monthly... uh, magazine they put out and you can start tracking stories of people who are suffering for the sake of christ and uh, what it's like to be insulted that way and peter says when we encounter this we share in the sufferings of christ that we actually enter into the very sufferings that christ himself went through and he says again underlining the point emphasizing it when we're persecuted we're blessed Okay? When you suffer insult for His name, we're blessed. When we go through suffering that way, we're blessed. And so Peter points it out. Judgment, by the way, begins with the house of God. Right? Judgment begins with the house of God. So we're going to run into the fire one way or the other. And I think if suffering comes, and I think this is true of almost any kind of suffering, if you've been through chronic pain or that kind of stuff, um, The question is, do we fully entrust our souls to our faithful creator? Can we place our one and only life in his hand and trust him with the choices he wants to make with it? Or do we pull it and say, no, I'm going to make the choices I want to make with it? Chapter 5, rolling along, principle number 9. Clothe yourselves in humility. Peter's talking about this issue of humility. He's talking about it in leadership and he's talking about it in Younger people and how they relate to older people. And he's saying it's easy to be disrespectful. And he's saying we are to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift us up in due time. All right? And notice there, there's an issue of timing. I've mentioned this many times. Have you ever known what the Lord wanted you to do, but his timing wasn't your timing? I guarantee you my timing for this planet and the things that are happening would be very, very different than what the Lord's doing. And he has not chosen to consult me which irritates the heck out of me, all right? Has he consulted you? No, most of the time, right? Have you ever had the Lord say, hey, this is going to happen, but then he doesn't tell you the time frame? Now you've got to pray over the time frame. That's what Peter's saying. Humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. If there's one thing that Scripture's clear about, it's this universal principle. Peter points it out. James points it out. Proverbs points it out. God is opposed to the... But he gives grace to the... Okay, do that again. God is opposed to the... But he gives grace to the, we've almost got it. God is opposed to the, but he gives grace to the, right? Is there ever pride in the church? (laughs) Right, And that's why churches blow up. Because we got big egos and we got big attitudes and somebody dissed me, somebody looked past me, somebody ignored me and I'm going to let it be known what a carnal church this is. And we don't see our pride in that at all. Pride is the invisible sin. We can see it in everybody else except us. And Peter, who do you think, how do you think Peter learned that? Peter learned that from his own experience, didn't he? So Peter's saying, hey, let me give you a life point, something of wisdom. Be humble. He says we're to clothe ourselves with it. Um, it should be our observable trait. You know, if you think about fashions, people are known by how they dress, right? Uh I'm not much into fashion, although I've gotten better. But I have to admit, Pam dressed me. Okay, so really, I'm still not there. And um, but Peter says we should be recognizable by some traits. The two traits he's pointed out in this is love and humility. Right? It should be like clothes that we wear. Be humble in leading, be humble in serving, and cast all our anxiety on Him. Why? One of the greatest promises in the Bible, because. He cares for us. Peter realized it wasn't just an academic issue, that God actually cared for him. God was actually very kind to him. Again, we are to proclaim the excellencies. A lot of us find fault with God. We find, we we disrespect God because we don't like the way he's run it. And Peter is saying, hey, on the other side of things, I realized I had it pegged pretty wrong. I think it would be good to trust Him because He cares for us. And then the last one. Here we go because it's week of camp. We'll all run into it anyways. Oops, I went too far there. Watch out for spiritual warfare. Be vigilant, all right? Uh, some of you probably already encountered stuff this week and going, wow, this week is really going wonky. What is wrong with this week? And I'm,
1: you
0: know, what's going on? And then you went, oh, camp. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I got to pray, right? And And that's how it works. But when it comes to warfare, Peter's saying, look, understand, we have an enemy. He is good at what he does. Think subtle. Okay? Well, usually as guys, when we think of warfare, we think of tanks and bombs and grenades and guns and right, that kind of stuff. And Peter's saying, no, 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 think whisper. How did Peter get taken out? Whispers, whispers, fear, and he got taken out. And so Peter's saying, watch out for warfare. Satan's goal is to roar so that we run away from our protection in Christ. Remember, Jesus has the keys to the kingdom. Run towards the roar. He cannot hurt you, right? Jesus can protect you in all of these situations. How does he roar? There's two particular ways he roars. Accusation and deception. He will accuse your character. He will accuse your worth. He will accuse your value. He will accuse your status. He'll accuse everything about you. And deception. Satan is a master taking three Taking a lot of truth and putting a a lie at the end of it and hooking it, right? And then you crash. Three quarters of a truth with a hook. And so Peter's saying, watch out for a strategy. Why? Because it's not patty cakes. He wants to take people out. He's called the destroyer. Uh, Some of you, have you seen the pictures of the. The wildfires down in California, the, the most recent one, I saw one where uh, it was in a canyon and they had the fire trucks in the two big hills and the flames were roaring 60 to 80 feet. And when you look at the pictures after, there's nothing left, right? It fire, that fire was designed to devour. And that's what Satan wants to do is devour. He wants to swallow us up. And Peter's saying, be very, very vigilant. Under attack, we are to stand firm in our faith, and then remember, he says, God will restore, God will confirm, God will strengthen, and God will establish us establish us when he returns. And then Peter ends with this little line, to God be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. All right? Peter says, remember who's in control of this universe. Remember who you're answerable to. Remember who you're accountable to. Serve him. Serve him only. All right, now, takeaway, out of those ten, out of those ten, which ones stand out to you? Let me get back. We'll go really quickly through them. all right? Number one, salvation. Number two, holiness is a big deal. Number three, we are a holy priesthood. Number four, we are to be in submission to authority. Number five, wives, submit to your husbands, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Number six, be willing to suffer for righteousness sake. Number seven, be stewards of God's grace. Number eight, don't be surprised at the fire or deal. Nine, clothe yourselves with humility. Number 10, watch out for warfare. Which one or two stand out to you? Which one do you feel the Holy Spirit bumping you, going, yep, focus on that one. Lock that one in. Okay? Then take that with you this week as a gift from God in his conversation with you about what he wants to do to develop holiness among us. Let's pray. Father, when we come to this, we know that Peter was a significant guy. He was an apostle, not just a apostle. Lord, you created a team and it's the greatest team that's ever been assembled on the face of the earth. And out of that team, he was the lead. And you uh, exposed a lot of his flaws for our sake. But the truth is he was an exceptionally gifted leader. And Lord, he has left us these principles, these takes uh, to a church that was suffering and going through persecution. And it's been used all down through history. And it comes to us fresh by the breath of your Holy Spirit and you have highlighted things, and we ask swearing that that which you have highlighted and underlined will be kept by us as good stewards. May we focus on what you've asked us to focus on, and we give that to you in your name. Amen.